0: Welcome to the Alliance of Social Entrepreneurship podcast series. My name is Ilse, and here we hold conversations with creative and inspiring entrepreneurs. I hope that with this podcast, you get the ideas, knowledge, and encouragement to create your own business that makes a positive impact on the people and the planet. Hi, Lindsay.
1: Hi.
0: Why don't we start off by you telling about your company about yourself, and about yourself?
1: Um, sure. My name is Lindsay McCoy. I am the co-founder of Plain Products, and we sell personal care products in aluminum bottles. So you order a bottle and it comes with a pump. And then when you're running low, you order a refill and that shows up. You switch the pump over and the refill comes with a return label. And you, so you can send your empty bottles back to us and then we wash, refill and reuse them. So we are trying to provide an alternative to all of the single-use plastic out there in the world and also offer products that don't have tons of toxic chemicals in them, which unfortunately a lot of our, our mainstream products seem to have these days.
0: And how did you came up with this particular idea to work Exactly within this industry, within the cosmetics industry, and also really tackle the plastic pollution. Um, I was
1: actually, my background's actually in nonprofit management. And I was doing <clears throat> environmental education in the Bahamas, where my husband's from. And those islands, there are, you know, 700 of them. So they don't have the same infrastructure that we have in the States where I'm living now um, of making waste disappear. So you would see a lot more of the single-use plastic there, um, just visually on the roads and, and in the water and on the beaches. And so I started doing things personally to reduce, you know, my plastic use, and carrying the reusable water bottle, the reusable bag. But one place I couldn't find a solution was all of those little plastic bottles in my shower. So really, um, you know, that was kind of the the start, I looked around for some other solutions, couldn't find anything that works. We decided to move back to the States for lots of reasons. And I took that opportunity to start a business with my sister. And I thought if you know, I was looking for some solutions, maybe other people were too. So really it was solving solving my own problem, um, but happily other people have, have embraced that solution.
0: And maybe we can go a little bit more back in your background, working in NGOs, because I believe a lot of people listening to this also are working in NGOs and, and feel passion towards making the world a better place or working with communities. How does your background in NGOs and experience relate to what you do now? And maybe it has helped you to, to uh, build up certain skills and attitudes on, on, that helps you essentially in, in building and running this business.
1: Certainly. I mean, I I definitely think that um, spending 20 years working in the nonprofit world helped. Um, First of all, we really as a company value customer service. And I think that's from years of working with donors. So we um, prioritize customer service, we listen to our customers, we take their feedback very seriously, we treat them as important stakeholders. And that has really benefited us. Um, when COVID started happening, there was a lot of questions around the safety of reuse. It has now been proven completely that, you know, reuse is better, that it's easier to sterilize, you know, metal containers, silverware than it is plastic. Mm-hmm. And that that's the most important thing, not how many times they're used. But we talked to our customers about that. You know, that the systems we had in place were to get rid of all germs, not just COVID, you know, we don't we never want anybody to get sick. And so, um, you know, we didn't have any issues. We had a great relationship with our customers and, you know, already had a lot of transparency and trust going on. And so we didn't see any decrease. We actually grew um, in the last year. So I think that that having that relationship already existed really mattered. Um, And the other thing is I think that we have a really collaborative work environment. Um, All of our employees... Think are comfortable speaking up and, and have great ideas and i really feel like that came from my time in the nonprofit sector as well
0: and you mentioned that you've been working in bahamas in environmental education i believe also your experience as an educator really helps to um, to find ways how to talk to public and really promote certain lifestyle choices
1: I think so I mean, we joke sometimes that if you looked at our our social feed, you might have trouble telling that we're selling products. Um, we certainly prioritize mm-hmm. education and awareness um, as part of our brand. So we feel like it's really more of a lifestyle. And if we can help people understand what's going on with the plastics issue and with you know sustainability in general, whether or not they buy shampoo for us is is secondary. Um, we really encourage mm-hmm. sort of what we call progress, not perfection. So taking small steps towards, you know, living with a slightly smaller footprint and not beating yourself up about those days when you do end up buying a Gatorade um, is, is part of our ethos.
0: In my experience, a lot of people working in NGOs for years, uh, they end up, working in a social enterprise, meaning working, for the business with purpose or going to politics because they want to kind of level up their impact. How do you feel about yourself? Have you leveled up your impact also since you opened this business?
1: You no, know, I don't know if I would say level up. I mean, I actually thought I was gonna start in politics and then realized that nonprofits gave you much more flexibility and room to experiment. Um, and for me, you know, this business was a different way to tackle a similar problem. But we work with a lot of nonprofits who are doing super important policy work, education and awareness on these issues. And we support their work. And I don't think that we would be as successful as a company if they weren't doing the work to help people realize that there's an issue going on with plastic. You know, I think that we do best when people come looking for us. (laughs) It's hard as a business to explain why you should care about single-use plastic, you know, you, I sort of explain to people what I'm doing and people either go, oh, that's so cool, or just give me sort of a blank look and and are confused. So I really, you know, think that all of it is important. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put what I'm doing above either one. Um, I just think it's a different way. And after 20 years of, of being in the nonprofit world, which I absolutely loved, I was just ready for a different challenge. And so I just sort of see this as a, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, a different way to apply my skills. I enjoy um, the business for good. Um, although I will say it is not a level playing field. You know, because we choose to take responsibility for our product, or packaging, you know, we choose to not put chemicals in or ingredients. That uh, means our price is higher. It is very hard to compete with, you know, a bunch of chemicals in a cheap plastic bottle. But, um, it, so it would be great for us if, if all businesses operated in the same way, because then I think the prices would be much more comparable. But I'm, I'm happy about what we're doing.
0: And what are the common compromises that you have to make? Because I believe there are certain things that you don't necessarily might feel so OK, but you still need to do it. I mean, even aluminium has its impact, right? But still, um, it's, it's a great replacement for single use plastics. What are the compromises that you can tell us about that you have? you had to make throughout the years to make this work? Well, as you said, I
1: mean, you know, the in a perfect world, everybody would make their own products at home and there wouldn't be any packaging, but that's, that's not the world we live in. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, aluminum definitely has a footprint. I would prefer to be using recycled aluminum bottles to start out with instead of virgin, but that's just not something that's available at this time. And as a small company, it's not something that we can demand. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, you know, there's, I would love to not have to ship as far or be able to work in other countries, but the carbon footprint just doesn't make sense to do that. So right now we're only in the U S and even then it's still a lot more shipping that I would like. Um, I would love to be able to have, you know, washing depots all around the country, but that's just not a reality yet
0: but you're also encouraging uh your customers to to order in bulk i suppose to lessen that impact as well and that's what i read on your website yeah
1: um you know we offer larger bottles our products are aloe based so they're really dense and we made the choice as a company to put a a smaller pump than your average shampoo you know a lot of packaging is designed to encourage people to use as much product as possible when you have to like flip the bottle over and squeeze, and you end up with like a gallon of product in your hand. So we have really put some things in place to help them last as long as possible, which you know, in some worlds would not make good business sense, but makes sense for a social enterprise um, so that there's less Mm -hmm. shipping back and forth. I mean, we have people that are keeping bottles for six months, which they like apologize, like, I'm sorry, it's lasting so long. I'm like, we're like, no, no, that's, that was the point we want, you know, so You know again i guess that would that would be a difference between a traditional business and you know more and more as we're a member of, of the b corp group so we've committed to including the planet and people as much as profit you know looking at all three at the same time as opposed to just prioritizing profit
0: maybe you can also tell about the B group because i guess europeans are not very familiar with that
1: yeah, I believe that it is, it's international. So um, it's an international movement, as I said, for businesses to um, work into their incorporation documents that they prioritize people and planet as much as profit. And you were actually assessed um, by an independent body on... huge amount of things. I mean, how you treat your employees, where you get your products, your sourcing, your spending, your uh, everything, the whole whole gamut. You document everything and are rated. And if you get above a, a certain score, you get a designation as a B Corp, a benefit corporation. And for me, not having a business background, it was incredibly helpful to go through that process as we were getting started to sort of help me set up our own infrastructure and what we were managing and what we were prioritizing and the things we needed to have in place. And it's continued to be helpful as we make those decisions. You mentioned the compromises that you're sometimes confronted with to know that in a year or two, I was gonna have to answer some questions about the choices that we made and why we made them and and be Mm -hmm. judged on them. so obviously mm. it's voluntary, but I, I think it's important and I think it's good to um, you know, be held to that as a business. It's it's always tempting to go the other way um and make a little bit more mm. money. And this is a good a good means of keeping an eye on that.
0: Because I think I think also you have quite demanding and, and very diverse um uh, group of customers somebody are requesting more organic without chemicals at all and then there are some people who want that and this how do you yeah how do you deal with that with so many demands
1: you know you just you accept that you can't make everybody happy which is hard for me as Mm. a people pleaser and you just do the best you can i mean you know we have again in a perfect world, you know, you'd be making your own products and there wouldn't be any preservatives, but that's not the reality. And to keep people safe, we, we have to put something in there um, to sort of stabilize the product. And so we picked the safest thing and worked with our manufacturer that we could find. And, you know, we're always open to better products. And, and some people say, well, I don't, I don't like this ingredient. Like, if you can find a better one, let me know. I'm happy to use it. But this, you know, we're doing the best we can at the time, and that's exactly one of those compromises you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we choose to use coconut instead of palm oil, which I think is, I think it's mm-hmm. at, this, at this point is the more, you know, sustainable, responsible choice. But but who knows? That could change again in another few years. So you kind of have to always keep keep your eye out. And, and a lot of our customers are way more educated on these issues than I am. So I learn things from them all the time. And I think it's important to be curious about what they're saying instead of defensive. So somebody will ask a question, I'll say, I don't know, let me check, but you know, I'd love to, I'd love to know more. Can you, you know, where are you reading this? Where are you seeing this? And have them send me stuff um, so I can learn instead of just saying, nope, that's not how we do it. Sorry, you know, delete.
0: I also wonder uh, still the NGO question would be, does it help actually that you are passionate about the uh, subject itself?
1: Because my, oh. my
0: straight answer would be yes, of course. But sometimes I guess one can get emotional. For instance, I wouldn't be able to work, I think with animal shelters well, because I would you know, be all over the place because I'm very passionate about rescue and so on. I think there's a. I I agree with you that
1: passion and emotion are helpful, because there are tough days, there are boring days, it's still a job, and so, you know, having a passion helps you get, get past that. It, you know, helps animate these conversations, um, you know, that I I care about the larger mission, and it makes it easier for me to talk about it because it is mission-based instead of just selling products. Mm-hmm. Like I would have a a hard time getting excited about, you know, getting up and just talking about shampoo um, all of the time, but I care about it because of the packaging and because of the good ingredients. But I do think that it is easy to slip into, you know, a militancy and, you know, everybody should be doing this. This is the best way. And honestly, that would be one of my critiques of the environmental movement in general Is is often people tend to to turn on each other for not being good enough or Mm -hmm. not doing it the way somebody else wants them to. And, you know, my attitude is much more, we're all on the same team and, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a guy who owns a shampoo bar company and, you know, we support each other and we talk to each other and I, you know, great. If, if that works for you, super, I'm not going to be against people who buy shampoo bars. They didn't work for me. So we did this, but we're certainly all on the same team. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and as we hire people, we sort of say, look, we're here to support our customers. We're here to meet them where they are. We're not going to judge them. We're not going to be unhappy that they're not buying every product we have or that, you know, they're not doing this in other parts of their lives. That's not that's not what we're about. And I think that is sometimes people's passion can push them a little too far and it makes it hard than to meet people where they are.
0: Looking at your website, I also see that you're partnering up with NGOs. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, this partnership? What do you do and how do you support each other's work?
1: Um, yeah, as I mentioned, before, well, first, I guess I should say we're members for 1% for the planet, which is uh, an agreement that we will donate at least 1% of gross revenue to environmental causes, which is obviously an easy choice for us to make since that's the field we're in. And I do believe that you know a rising tide lifts all boats. The more that they can do their work, um, as far as education, as far as policy goes, it only benefits us and the work we're doing in the long run. So, I mean, you know, in, in addition to providing financial support, which we do, we try and kind of lift up their work, let people know about them, and support the work that they're doing, however we can. So, you know, that looks different mm-hmm. for all of our different partnerships.
0: And this reminds me also on on uh, something that you said on other podcasts about your trip, uh, sh- ship trip. Maybe you can tell a little bit more about your experience in finding plastics in the ocean.
1: Yeah, there is a great group called Expedition. It's exx Expedition because the double X is it was all women. So um, the... The captain, the crew, the researchers, uh, and then the volunteers were all female. And it was originally gonna be, I think, 24 legs all the way around the world. And I was super lucky to be on leg five, which was in the Caribbean from Aruba to Panama. And while we were on board, we did scientific research, uh, you know, trying to assess how much plastic was in the ocean and they were looking at the types of plastic. So, you know, everything that was collected was put in a spectrometer. To, and, and their goal is to try and figure out what's going in the ocean so that they could address land-based policies of, you know, where where it's most important to, as they say, turn off the tap. You know, that, that while it's great to clean up the ocean, it makes a lot more sense to stop it from going into the ocean in the first place. So uh, we did kind of trawls at the surface, which you know there's a lot of plastic and then what what was the sort of what made me the most aware was we also dropped a bottle down uh 50 meters and collected water samples and then pulled that buck up and ran that water through a filter and unfortunately there was microplastic in the water column so you know that was really disturbing to me because you're not you know you're not going to clean that up we're not going to put a filter through the ocean um, so that, again, really pushed me towards we have to have land-based solutions and, and figure out how to keep this plastic from getting in the ocean in the first place. Um, but, yeah, I would encourage everybody to, to check out X Expedition. It's a really cool thing. Unfortunately, they had to stop um, the round the world trip because of COVID. Uh, it became kind of impossible to get people off and on the boat safely, but they are still doing a lot of really good work.
0: I think it was estimated by by um, some foundation that a human consumes one amount of one credit card of microplastic per month, which is incredible amount. So this, my question is also, whether you feel sometimes overwhelmed by all the issues that we are facing in the planet and how do you take care that you keep still hope, active hope for, yeah, for the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, no doubt that we are facing a ton of challenges, and it is also no doubt that we are currently experimenting on ourselves with how much plastic that we are using and ingesting and in our bodies. i mean, i don't I don't think we know the answer to what we're doing to ourselves right now. Um and that's a little, you know, a full, scary. But, you know, the, to me, and one of the reasons I think I got involved in this issue is plastic something we can do something about. There are a lot of problems that we can't do anything about, but we can just buy less plastic. Uh, you know, that's a choice that we can all make, and we can change the consumer demand. So, you know, plastic didn't exist until the 50s and 60s. Anyway, we managed to survive as a society for a very long time without it. And then we were sort of convinced by marketing and advertising that everything should be convenient, and we should be able to use something once and throw it away. And if we couldn't do that, it was a problem. Uh, so I think you know we need to just sort of turn that turn that around and uh, look towards reuse, look towards things that we can continue to reuse. I mean, I'm not saying that plastic should be eliminated. It is amazing. It's an amazing material, and for cars and medical things and you know stuff that you'll use for 20 30 years of course but for something that we use once and then throw away you know we as a society have to say that just doesn't make sense and you know we're really just pushing that down the line you know our kids our grandkids are going to be paying for our choices um later because that plastic's still going to be there so, you know, I think that this makes me feel a little bit better. It's an action that I can take. You know, it's an action that is if we all choose to start doing something about it that we can impact in a way that you know, it's harder to impact a lot of the other than a lot of the other issues that we're facing.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess also well, this also my question. Did zero waste movement, which became very popular in the past years in Latvia and even before in all um, in states and in, in Western countries, did it help actually um, to start more active conversation about the plastic use in our day-to-day lives?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, I definitely think, you know, it's it's, plastic is the sort of thing that it's become such a part of our life that you have to sort of, see it in a different way you know the idea that every piece of plastic that's ever been made is still on the planet like you know you kind of have to mm. do a paradigm shift and then once you see it and every time you throw one away i think that's gonna be here forever that's gonna you know like then you can't unsee it and then i think you do start to act in, in different ways but there's a lot of factors in the world that don't want you to see it that way that don't want you to make that paradigm shift because they're making a lot of money Um, Hmm. So certainly, I think anything that can help people turn that switch and start to see things differently is is helpful. The zero waste is is occasionally a little concerning to me just because of the number zero can be intimidating. You know, I think people think, oh, if I can't do zero waste, I I don't need to worry about doing anything. You know, I can't get to zero. so."
0: Um,
1: So again, that's where we kind of come back to that progress, not perfection. Less waste. You know instead of the giant Mm. garbage can go for the smaller garbage can and the bigger recycling you know just um uh, start to do what you can you know wash the dishes instead of buying disposable ones it's a great start
0: what about the sustainability practices and policies within your company what do you implement what's inspiring for for everyone else to share to be shared
1: Um, you know, I think that as far as reuse goes, we try to do it at every level. So the boxes that we order are, you know, from recycled paper, we reuse them two or three times until they start to look a little too raggedy or (laughs) fall apart. Um, We use paper tape instead of plastic tape. To make sure that the boxes can be recycled. You know, I don't know if, if people are aware, but that, that plastic tape has to be removed before you know, boxes can be recycled. So that sometimes means they're not recycled. Um we just try and be thoughtful about all of our different steps. And again, you know, we're always trying to improve and and learning new things. And there's a lot of brilliant people doing a lot of interesting things out there in the world. And we're always hoping that somebody's gonna, you know Invent, invent a way that we can do it even better. So we do our best to keep up with what, what other people in the industry are doing and, and you know, what's, what we should be looking at.
0: And what about the team management?
1: We are a mostly a remote team. We actually were before COVID. So I founded the company with my sister. I'm actually in North Carolina on the coast. She is in Cincinnati, Ohio, where our business is based. So she manages the warehouse for us. But then other than the people who work in the warehouse, everybody else is, is remote and work for home. So I manage that team um, of about 12 people. And um, yeah, I we, you know, again, it, it worked out really well for COVID, we were already remote, but uh, it's given us access mm-hmm. to a lot of really great talent that are happy to be able to have flexible schedules, a lot of really smart moms. Who need a flexible schedule, and I'm like, yeah, work whenever you want. You know, we touch base once a week, but they work when it works for them, and so we are able to to access some really amazing people that way.
0: And what are their reasons for joining the company? Do they feel equally passionate about ecology?
1: Um, I think so. Um, you know, I I can't speak for all of them, but certainly um, there is a shared enthusiasm. And we have a Slack channel and all of us, when we find a new product from a different company, you know, we share it and we all get excited about it. So um, it is sort of part of the culture. And I would think if you, you know, weren't interested in being part of that culture, it probably would, (laughs) it might be a weird place to work if you didn't, if you weren't excited about it, because that's a lot of what we we talk about is, it's like what these guys are doing and oh my God, you know, so... That's just that's just part of how we all work together is, is an enthusiasm for it and it animates a lot of our conversation.
0: And one of the things you mentioned that you are taking from NGO World is for people to have a space to speak up and talk. Is there anything else that you kind of practice as a company that could be more unique uh, for your company? Hmm. Sure
1: there is. You know, it's so hard when you're in it to know what's mm-hmm. unique about it. Um, sure. I think the fact that we do, you know, sort of practice a curiosity and try not to be defensive is <laughs> unusual. Um, and it's hard. I mean, of course, it's hard. You know, when people ask you things, it's it's easy to get defensive or say you should be doing it this way or I don't, you know, I don't like that. I don't like this. But we do try hard to sort of say, OK, well, tell me more and why and how would you do it differently um, instead of like, nope, that's the way we do it. So, and I think we try and do that too as a, you know, I'll sort of say, well, here's what I think, but I'm happy to be, I'm happy to have my mind changed. You know, if you can give me a good reason, we can we can revisit this, but here's the direction we're going right now. And I, I assume that's unusual,
0: <laughs> but I couldn't tell you, honestly. Mm-hmm. And from what I see on a website, um, it could be a bit cultural question, but you have a lot of uh, female leadership. And I was just reading a book on starting a revolution of, of uh, quite few female leaders who are in the startup business, but they're trying to create a little bit different startup where they really also, as you said, employees, um, working moms, not working moms, but stay-at-home moms. So they have more options to work. And maybe you can also tell from your side, you uh, yeah, what's your take on uh, on women in business? I think women
1: are naturally problem solvers. On the whole, I mean, not obviously, you know, completely, but it, it was interesting. I was compiling a list for some for another project of, of similar companies and and other you know kind of plastic solution companies, and a lot of them were started by women. Um, So I I certainly see very, you know, and those companies are are very practical, very useful, providing a product that's not, you know, to my mind, just one more thing. It's a it's a better way to do things. It's something different. It's more sustainable way to do things. And so um, I I am always excited to work with those companies. And they tend to be fun to work with. They tend to also, you know, be more cooperative, want to do partnerships, want to do cross promotion. And, you know, I can't say that's all because they're led with women, but it certainly seems to be the trend. Um, and I also find women are a harder times promoting themselves. So, mm. you know, occasionally I'll see something that's like, we're saving the planet. And that tends to be something led by a man. Whereas, you know, women companies tend to sort of be like, here's this thing we're doing. It's really cool. We hope you like it, you know, and... So th- that's just interesting to to me too. The difference in marketing and and how how they're talking about themselves and their products. So I, you know, always encourage women to sort of support each other and lift each other up because I think that we are less likely to do it ourselves. Um, but I do think that a lot of the interesting things that are happening right now in this in this industry is is led by women, and I'm excited to see
0: it. Hmm. Yeah, the same here. I also wanted to ask you a question on men and, and maybe ecological products because there is sometimes a question also um, rises why they why there are so little men in zero waste movement or why they are consuming way less environmental products than, than women tend to do. Well, I think women tend to be the ones who shop for the house
1: in general. Um, you know, obviously not always, but so I think they tend to have their eye more on, on that piece. Um, we certainly have a lot of great men who buy from us. So I don't know that it's completely, you know, I think that there are men who are thinking about this, but I think women in the role that they traditionally play, think more about it just because their hands are in it more, um, and they're, you know. Buying for everybody, they're thinking about the kids. They're you know choosing products that don't have chemicals. You know they're just they're just that's that's more of our traditional role, I guess, as caretakers and sort of you know home overseers. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. And I again, you know, kind of what we were talking to earlier, you know, what your what your perspective is, you know, if you're the one that's, um, you know cooking and you're seeing how many things you're throwing away or you're you know buying for the bathroom and you're seeing how many plastic bottles you're buying you tend
0: to notice that more and think about it so i think that's a huge a huge part of it i remember uh that there is some research that also says that ecological products for men are more expensive because those who can afford it will be able to buy it i mean some kind of argument uh, like this. How do you um, differ your products or do you differ or you make the product as unisex?
1: We, We, I think we went as unisex as possible. I mean, again, we didn't want to get in the business of making as many different products to make more money as possible. We were really looking to say, you know, this will serve a lot of different purposes for a lot of different people. With our shampoo and conditioner, we talk about like, if you have, like me, straight hair that tends towards, you know, oily, leave the shampoo in longer, you know, leave it in for a few mm-hmm. minutes, let it work its magic, skip the conditioner or, you know, every use it sparingly. You have curlier, coarser hair like my sister, don't use as much shampoo, use more conditioner, leave it in longer, you know, don't rinse it out. So trying to make products work, the same products work for a lot of different people instead of like... This hair for this and this hair for that and this you know we didn't want to right. to do that we're trying not to convince people that they need a ton of products for every different person in the in the fam- in the family which again is mm. not a traditional business practice um, so we have been asked again from our consumers to do a more male friendly scent I kind of considered our rosemary mint vanilla unisex you know, but um, I think we're we're investigating now what, what that would look like. Um, and it's, it's something on the, on the table to add in the next year, but it won't be a different price. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we price our, we price our products based on what it costs us to get them, what it costs us to ship them around and what it costs us to bring them back and wash them and reuse them. And that's, you know, that's how we figure out what to charge we don't we don't add surcharges based on who we think is going to use that if i had a business background maybe i would be more tempted maybe it's a good reason that i didn't go get an mba but it doesn't occur to me to do that
0: but i think it, it makes your company look way better as well to have this this equal attitude um More personal question for you as an entrepreneur. What are your self-care rituals for you to keep going and and, uh, take care of your mind and body?
1: Um, I try to exercise. I try to get outside. Uh, I'm a bit of a productivity junkie, so I have to force myself away. But I do find that when I do step away from the computer, that's when I have my best ideas. My team is always wary now of when I'm like, oh, I have this idea on a walk, they're like, oh boy. Um but that's that that's you know, it doesn't happen when you're answering email. Like you don't you don't have the space to to think of something creative. So I'm trying to be better about about getting some time away. Um I'm trying to meditate. It's hard. But I know it does help like just you know and, and that's part of the walks I think. You know, I, I like to go and like listen to podcasts or listen to music, but I'm trying to also Make sure that there are times when I'm not listening to anything. Uh, and then, you know, using our products too. For me, that's that's self-care. Um, taking the extra time in the shower to let the product sit in there for three minutes, that's not something that I would have done in a former life. I'm like, oh, in, out, you know, boom. So that piece too of just taking the time to let a natural product work its magic and giving myself those few extra moments here and there are part of it as well.
0: Maybe your final words for somebody thinking about opening or starting social enterprise, which would help environment and help people um, yeah w- what would be your sugge- suggestion or words that you would wish for anyone starting their journey or yeah,
1: I mean I think yeah, do it. the world needs more good businesses um you know we as a as a as a force for good need to overwhelm the the other more traditional companies, uh, I think we can, we could do a lot more good in the world. Um, and I would just encourage people to make sure that it's a product that there's a real need for, you know, that it's solving some sort of problem in their lives or in somebody's lives, not just a product and that they, they do care about and are proud of. And then, you know, persistence, um, there were a lot of people that told us that this was a terrible idea and it would never work as we were getting started. And those were all experts who had been in the industry for some time. So, you know, I, I would just say, if, if you really believe in it and it's working for you and, and there's a few other people who you trust who say, yeah, this is a good idea, be prepared that some some experts may tell you, oh, that'll never work um, and and keep going. Um, There's a great business book out there, Eric Ries, I think it's called um, Lean Startup, but it talks about a minimally viable product, like getting something out, getting it in the marketplace and testing it. And I think that's a great recommendation. You know, don't spend so much time and money on your prep and your business plan and your this and your that and, you know, launching something perfect into the world because once it hits the world, it's... It's going to change. People are going to respond to it. And, you know, if you've used up all your resources and time and energy getting to that point, it's going to be hard. So I do think it's important. You know, you don't need a million of whatever it is to get started. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And the website doesn't have to be perfect. Um, You know, put something out in the world and and let people respond to it and then learn from that and and keep going.
0: Thank you, Lindsay, so much for, for taking time for this conversation. Um... We'll Be putting out there also the website that where people can find your products and more information about how the ways that you run the business and, and the partnerships that you build. So, thank you and, and good luck with your further business um, aims and objectives.
1: Thank you, thanks for taking the time to
0: shop. Hope you have enjoyed today's episode. You can follow us on the Alliance of Social Entrepreneurship Facebook page and find our episodes on all major podcast platforms. Alliance for Social Entrepreneurship is supported by EU program Erasmus+, which aims to support education, training, youth and sport in Europe.